Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. We've spent the month of October shining a light on the fight against breast cancer. And while there are new drug therapies that enable women to live longer, breast cancer statistics remain the same. One in eight women in the United States will be diagnosed with breast cancer in her lifetime. And every 65 seconds, someone hears the words, you have breast cancer. And I take this battle against breast cancer very seriously. You wanna know why? Because I am a motherless daughter. It makes me sad to say that, but it's true. I lost my mother to breast cancer when I was a teenager, and that loss defined me. I think we can all agree, 18-year-old girls are just not fully cooked. Our mothers are not done molding and shaping us. Years later, as a broadcaster, I had the opportunity to put women in the spotlight, and I did this for selfish reasons. I needed to learn the kinds of lessons from them that my mother simply didn't have time to teach me. I needed to soak up their wisdom, and I have. Their stories have filled my heart and completed me. And that quest for stories continues with this podcast series. The woman you are about to meet is truly exceptional. She's a wife, a mother, a marathon runner, a philanthropist, and she is living with stage four cancer diagnoses, not one, but two, breast and thyroid her success story is based on literally putting one foot in front of the other, always walking forward, always running toward the finish line, and never giving up. At the core of her life story is love. Carol Shawi, welcome to the show. Thank you, Candy. Thank you for having me today. Did you like my intro? I loved it. It was great. Thank you. <laughs> I couldn't look at you while I was doing it because I was, was going to start to cry. <laughs> Take me back to the summer of 2009. You were on your way to run a road race when you received a phone call about a breast cancer diagnosis. Yes. Two days prior, I had my annual mammo at the Faulkner Hospital Sagoff Center. And I thought, I'm going to have time to go shopping at Bloomingdale's on the way home and then pick up my kids from camp. And I kept getting called back and called back and called back for additional films and images at the Sagoff Center. And I called my husband, who was working at the hospital at that time, and said, you know, what's going on? And he said, oh, you're just getting the VIP treatment because they know you're my wife. He's a radiologist. He's a radiologist. Okay. And everything but mammo. He doesn't do mammo. So Great. I said, oh, I don't consider this VIP treatment. It was very scary. And then Dr. Levin said, you know, I don't see anything, but I'm going to do some biopsies just in case. And she noticed some small calcifications, but didn't think they were cancerous. But she had the good thought to like, do some biopsies anyway. So I did a few biopsies. And instead, I drove home with an ice pack in my bra. For the next 48 hours while I was waiting for the results, my world turned upside down. I kept thinking, you know, how could this be possible? Did they read the wrong images? Right. And then I got that phone call on the way to the race and had the news that I had to come back the next day for an MRI to find out how, how much the cancer had spread and what was going on. You know, here's the thing. You decided to run the race anyway. Yes. Yeah. I think it was good therapy. I thought, okay, maybe the adrenaline will make me run faster. And I think I won my age group, but didn't run as fast as I'd expected. But I think I hadn't slept, you know, for the 48 hours and was so nervous. And then I ran into my running coach as well as a close friend. And I kind of broke down after the race and just yeah. told them what happened. And then it really became reality that I went in the next morning for an MRI. And then the week following was just a week of visits with the people that were going to eventually become my care team. Tell me how old you were at the time and then tell us about your stage, your, your course of treatment? So I was 45. So it was the summer of 2009. When they did the MRI, they found 
out that the tumor was larger than they expected. So I met with a team of doctors and they said, our only option is a mastectomy. We went on vacation to Switzerland and then two weeks later I had the mastectomy. Most of my lymph nodes were positive. They removed, I think, 11 lymph nodes. They actually found a stage zero breast cancer that had been necrotic underneath the new cancer. They're unrelated. After I recovered from the mastectomy, I think they gave me about four weeks, three to four weeks to recover. I started 16 weeks of chemotherapy. You know, you mentioned the country Switzerland. And we're going to talk about that throughout our interview because that's a very special place for you. That's where you met your husband. Yes, exactly. I did a year of graduate work there and a mutual friend introduced us and we first became running partners and friends and then started dating and everything. So if you're listening from Switzerland, you have an expat there, right? Exactly, exactly. As mothers, we worry more about our children than we do about ourselves. You have four beautiful children. How did you tell them what was their reaction, Carol? So in 2009, you know, very scary because I didn't know anybody that had cancer at the time. My youngest was six going on seven, and then I had teenagers and then a fourth grader also. So it was very tricky for the teenagers because they could, you know, Google information. They were very nervous. And my youngest, um, surprisingly, he wanted to be very involved. If any of my kids are going to become a doctor, I think it's going to be my youngest, Darren. <laughs> he was very interested. He wanted to see, like, I wasn't even prepared to see the mastectomy scar until like a month after it healed. But he was curious into to see everything and to learn about cancer. After each chemotherapy treatment, I had to have a shot of Nulasta in my stomach to boost my uh, white blood count. My husband did the first few from home, and then he, as a six-year-old, you know, going on seven, he would do the next few shots for me. And we were both nervous. What? I think the first time I was like, "Okay, is he going to like jab me?" Or, but he did well. He did really well. And then he actually spoke at Boston your College. Your son gave your injections. Yes, at yeah. the age of what? He was six. Yeah, probably seven at the time because I think it was like closer to November, December. So he had turned seven. <laughs> Let me just tell you that. That's mother love when you let your kid yes, do that, right? I know, I know. I was very nervous, but he he was very confident. And then he was actually invited to speak at Boston College because he considered himself a, a caregiver. Uh, we both spoke at the college, and he did well. Uh, it was really nice. It was really loving of him to, to see that. You decided that you were going to combine running a race with every round of chemotherapy. Yes, Can you please talk about that? Yes, because most yes. women are on the floor, <laughs> and you were running. I think it was probably a week after my first round of chemotherapy. There was a race in Boston, and I went to... A lot of my friends didn't know, with the exception of my friends in Wellesley, that I was you know, going through cancer. So a lot of my friends in the running community were like very supportive, and they said, oh, you should do a race before every chemo treatment. So I would find local races. I was doing chemo every other week, and I was trying to find cancer fundraisers because it would be more meaningful, and it really made me feel great about myself. Like I felt very strong, and I was still running fast back then. This was nine years ago. I've gotten slower each year, but it just was really great for myself. And then years later, I realized how important it was for my children to see me out there running because they didn't really think of me as a cancer patient. They just, they knew that I was, you know, going through treatments that I, you know, I lost my hair. But the fact that I was running um, almost every day and running races every other weekend and bringing home trophies, that really reassured them. So that was important to me. Where does your strength come from, Carol? I think it really comes from the community because I've been so lucky, you know, to live here and to have friends who take me to treatments, who were bringing meals at the time, and just who meet me for runs and don't even talk about the cancer. So when I'm with my friends and, you know, even when they're taking me to Dana-Farber to go for treatments, we talk about everything else but cancer. So it's really nice. And I think that's where my strength comes from is just having a great support network. It brings up a follow-up for me, which is talk to people, talk to caregivers, talk to friends who have friends who are dealing with a cancer diagnosis, what do you need from your friends? I think myself, I was initially a fairly private person. You know, having my first cancer diagnosis in 2009... 
it kind of, I started to blog on this Lots of Helping Hands website. And at first I thought, okay, you know, maybe it'll help a few people. But the response was like overwhelmingly supportive and positive. And people were very curious because one in eight women will get breast cancer. And so pretty much everyone knows someone who's been impacted by the disease, but most of them are afraid to ask questions and yes. afraid to kind of know what you need. So I think just having someone who say, okay, can I bring you a meal or can I, you know, help you with chores or can I take your kids to uh, sporting events or something is really helpful because you don't necessarily as a patient want to ask for help. So if people can ask you what they can do for you, that really helps. It takes the burden off of the patient, I think. Let's talk about your lifelong love of running. What is it about running that you love so much? I'm a terrible runner, by the way. <laughs> we'll I, would rather, <laughs> I would rather swim from here to Boston than run around the block. I'm just not good at it. Tell me what you love about running. So I started running in high school when I was 13 and ran cross country and track and just love the camaraderie of my teammates and just the freedom. And it, when I was running by myself, I could kind of remake the world and dream of like different things. And when I was running with friends, we'd talk about everything and, and just share like our hopes after my cancer diagnosis, it just made me feel very strong. And after my recurrence, six years later, I knew that I was no longer running fast. So I wanted to have fun with it. And that's when I started wearing the, the costumes to run. Well, let's talk about the costumes, everybody, because uh, Carol wears a cape and a tiara. Correct? That's correct. Yes. <laughs> and I'm going to guess that it empowers you. It definitely does. I mean, there's something about wearing a costume that gets you, your alter ego is involved, yes, right? Yes, After my thyroid cancer diagnosis in 2014, I went to a superhero run in Cambridge. I went to Party City and I saw a Wonder Woman costume. I said, oh, I'm going to be Wonder Woman. When I went to the race, there were probably 3,000 runners. There are so many runners, men and women dressed as Wonder Woman. I thought, oh, this is great. There's like so much competition. Like there's all these good looking men wearing Wonder Woman costumes. And everyone was just so friendly. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be Wonder Woman. A year later, I had my breast cancer recurrence. And I had a special cape made with a Wonder Woman logo on the back that says stage four needs more and a metastatic breast cancer thriver. And I started wearing that to races and it really sparked a conversation. Yes. Like after the race with people in the crowd would stop me and say, what does that mean? You know, stage four needs more. Then I would talk to them about what it's like to live with metastatic cancer. Most people don't know any patients with mm -hmm. a stage four diagnosis. So I think that was really helpful as far as educating the public and then just having fun with the running. And then all my friends started wearing costumes as well. So that was nice. You you get to the five-year mark as a breast cancer survivor. We're backing up just a little bit. And then you receive the diagnosis of thyroid cancer. Yes. And it was to the um, on the exact date of my breast cancer diagnosis. I had been followed up for three years. When I was going through radiation treatments, my OBGYN said, you should have your thyroid checked out. So for three years, I was having my thyroid checked out by an endocrinologist. And then finally, in 2013, he said, you've been through a lot. There's no need to see me anymore. And then the following year, my OBGYN said, what's going on with your thyroid? It looks worse. You need to have it checked out. So I switched to a different endocrinologist. And I remember thinking, I'm just going to go in for a routine ultrasound. And then I had a team of doctors and technologists and nurses looking over me saying, who referred you and what's going on? And next thing I know, they did biopsies. And I found out the next day that I had thyroid cancer. Five years to the day. Five years to the day, exactly. You, you probably felt a little, what's a good word for it? 
betrayed? Yes. I thought, okay, here, I'm going to celebrate five years survivorship. And I was initially on a 10-year breast cancer medication plan to prevent a recurrence for the breast cancer. It was a shock. And then actually for my kids, they said that was even more shocking because they didn't know that people have two different types of cancer. So I had a thyroidectomy and my lymph nodes removed and I had a lot of positive lymph nodes. And then a few months later, I had the radioactive iodine treatment, which was like a science experiment. You know, they take you into a small room, you have to swallow a radioactive pill, then they scan you to make sure it's working. And then I had to go away for three days, away from my kids. And we had small dogs at the time. I remember you have to like wrap up your toothbrush and like bury it in the yard for a few months before you can take it to the dump or to the trash. It was pretty interesting. Wow. Yeah, very, very scary. And then I thought, okay, I've made it through that. And then within a year, my breast cancer came back. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. We like to establish a relationship with our customers, and the best way to do that is see them in their natural setting, so to speak, and that's in their home. We come to you, we work with you on your equipment in a setting that's comfortable for you, and also we can test better that way, because if you have a printing problem or whatever, and we bring it to a shop, it may work great in the shop, but it might not work in your home. So this way we know for sure everything is working the way that it should. TechHelpBoston.com. Their experts will come to your home or office to fix your computer same day, next day, and weekends too. Visit TechHelpBoston.com. That's TechHelpBoston.com. You know, I hear your story and I just have to say, how do you stay so positive? Being with my family, the running, and then, you know, being very active in the community really helps because I take my focus away from I was just feeling sorry for myself and staying on the couch and saying, oh, you know, I have cancer. I should take the day off and do nothing. And instead, I channel all of that energy into being active in the community and being with my family and friends and just enjoying each day. Speaking of being active in the community, let's talk a little bit about that. You are an incredible philanthropist. You are the founder of the Wellesley, Massachusetts Turkey Trot. Yes. <laughs> where I have had the great honor of singing the national anthem for you for a couple of years. I'm going to do it again this year. You're the only person I will get up at 730. <laughs> in the morning for on Thanksgiving and stand in the middle of a street and sing the national anthem. I want you to know that. Oh, that is great. That is great. <laughs> How much money have you raised from this race? We have raised since I took over fully in 2014 and we've raised probably close to $400,000 or $100,000 last year and we're hoping to top that this year and we donate 100% of the runner entry fees back to local charities. And 2,000 people, right? Yeah, last year we had 2,300 finishers, so it was great, yeah. And we have a kids' race with about 200 runners as well, so it's really nice. You also have something called Carol's Corner. Tell me about that. Carol's Corner came about because I became friends with this woman from Wellesley who used to own a mid-century modern shop in, in Natick. We both love vintage fashion. And I had been to a few breast cancer fashion shows, and I thought, wouldn't it be great to do a really unique fashion show that combines vintage fashion and involve um, metastatic patients and their caregivers in the show. 2017 was our first show at the Center for the Arts in Natick. We sold out and raised $50,000 for metastatic breast cancer research at Dana-Farber. And this year we moved it to Regis College because we knew we would have a much bigger audience and we sold over 400 tickets. And we're still paying some final bills and selling some of the vintage clothes, but I think we're on target to raise about 75000 this year. 
How much money have you raised for both breast cancer and thyroid cancer throughout your lifetime? Um, close to 500000 Unbelievable. Yes, yeah. Unbelievable. My goal is 500000 by the end of the year, and I'm, I'm getting close. You have also run 10 marathons. No, 19. Oh 19, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, 10 Nin- Boston. 10 Boston 10 marathons. Boston. What's it like to run the Boston Marathon? Oh, it's fabulous. I live right on the halfway point of the marathon, so I have all my friends and family in the center of town, usually by the library and close to St. Paul's and the Honeywell School neighborhood. So it's It's like a big parade coming through. It's really fun. I love it. I have had many women tell me, Carol, that breast cancer changed them from the inside out. How has it changed you? I think it's definitely changed me. I wouldn't say that it's a gift, but I would say that what you do with your diagnosis becomes the gift. And I feel that having the cancer diagnosis has really pushed me out into the community more than I would have ever been before. I think Prior to having cancer, I volunteered my children's school and everything, but never did a lot in the community. Because of the cancer diagnoses, I started the the turkey trot and and the fashion show. It just made me more aware of what it means to, to really be part of the community and to give back. So it's really been a blessing. You know, you mentioned that when you wear the tiara and you wear your cape, which obviously you should be wearing after this story, my goodness, you tell me that people come over to you and they ask you questions. Yes, and I'm yeah. wondering, is there healing in that too? Is there, do you feel like a role model for some women too? I think so. I recently did the Reebok 10K in Boston. A lot of women were dressed up also as Wonder Woman at that race. I was interviewed by NBC just prior to the race. And a lot of the women dressed up as Wonder Woman came up to take pictures with me. And then several women came up after the race to say, you know, my sister had breast cancer or I had breast cancer. To see me out there running, I think it gives them hope and the courage to get out there and train Mm. and, and run races and everything. So I think if I can help a few people continue their life and continue to live the best way that they can, I feel like I'm making a difference. I know that you've had a recent recurrence And I wonder if you could share that with our listeners. So I was out on a training run for the New York Marathon, which I'm hoping to be able to run next week, and fell. I tripped on the sidewalk near Spean Street. And I've fallen before uh, during running because I have neuropathy in my feet from treatments and just because I'm usually chatting while I run and don't really pay attention to the footing and ended up in the emergency room. I really say that it was a serendipitous fall because they did a CAT scan to rule out a concussion and a facial fracture and found uh, brain lesions. So it was very, very scary for, uh, for me. And my husband was in the reading room with the radiologist when the images came up. And then he walked me back to, to the room and told me. And then it wasn't until an hour later that we saw the ER doctor who didn't even know that I was not aware of the brain lesions. He knew that I had metastatic breast cancer, but wasn't sure of the extent. The next few weeks were kind of like my initial diagnosis, very scary because I didn't think that I I wasn't symptomatic at all. I didn't have any balance issues or headaches or nausea. But again, I thought I was very grateful that I had this fall and that I was, you know, diagnosed before having symptoms, which could have been, you know, six months to a year before having the, the symptoms. So I recently went through whole brain radiation, two weeks of whole brain radiation at the Brigham and Women Hospital. Felt great, you know, going through the treatments. And now I'm feeling a little bit of the fatigue from that. And I'm. But a, you still came for this interview today. Yes, yeah, I'm Thank happy to do so that. Much. Yes, yeah. And, um, and I'm on a new systemic treatment that um, I started in August because of uh, lymph node progression that I'm very hopeful will work for me. It dropped my tumor markers by 20% just after a few weeks. And then they stopped that systemic treatment during the whole brain radiation because they're not sure 
how that impacts the radiation. But I feel great. I feel, you know, very hopeful that I'll be able to run the New York Marathon in a week. I feel hopeful for my prognosis and everything. So it's just like once, I think when people hear that it's in your brain, they get very nervous. But I feel that that my team of doctors are really looking out for me and that the treatments I'm hoping are going to be very effective. Adversity is a great teacher. It is, yes. What have you discovered about yourself through all of this? I've learned that oh, it's having cancer and being treated for cancer, especially with a metastatic uh, diagnosis. It's an ultra marathon. You have to really get through the treatments and get out of bed each day and continue to, to live your life and do the best that you can each day and to be really grateful for every day that you have. You know, one of the things that I said when in the very beginning of our interview was having read about you and met you a couple of times, I think at the core of you is this whole beautiful love piece. You're, you're married to a wonderful man who it sounds to me has been with you every step of the way. How long have you been married? Uh, we've been married, it'll be 29 years in February. You get to answer the question, what's the key to a great loving marriage. I think being very supportive of each other, sharing the same family values and raising our kids and just, you know, being very supportive. He was able to take time off from work when I was going through whole brain radiation and went to my treatments. Really, you know, follows up on my care. He also does second reads on my scans and everything, which I think it's good to have yeah. fresh eyes looking at them. You know, our kids are are very supportive and very kind. So I think we just you must try. be doing something right. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. And I, I hope I'll be able to see them all grow up to become, you know, independent adults. I still have two at home and two away from home, but they're all great kids and I have a great husband. So I'm very happy. I'm going to think that in some of your darkest times, that's been your greatest fear that you won't see them. Definitely, definitely. I think especially after having this recurrence in September, I was worried that what if I only have a year to live? I recently had a close friend who went through a whole brain radiation over the summer, and she was also very nervous about only having six months to live. I connected her with a few patients who have been living three plus years after having whole brain radiation. My radiation oncologist, during my first visit before I started treatment, said, you know, I have a patient that had metastatic lung cancer to the brain, who had much worse disease in his brain that you did. And now eight years later, he's still working full time. So I needed to hear those stories of hope yes. and to connect with other patients that have metastatic breast cancer to the brain also, and who are doing well and thriving three plus years later. Well, speaking of that, if you could take a woman who has just heard the words, you have breast cancer by the hand and tell her one thing you wish you knew back on that day in 2009, what would it be? I think hope is a very important word because there are new treatments coming out each day. Even for someone with early stage breast cancer, the treatments are much more tolerable than they were years ago. And then for someone with stage four disease or with a more advanced breast cancer diagnosis, with research, there are new treatment options coming out every day. So I'm hopeful for myself. I'm hopeful for patients that are in line behind me that have yet to be diagnosed. So I think there is a lot of hope for patients and you just have to stay positive. Carol, you have a nucleus of friends that you've been running with and friends with for quite a few years, women who are also battling metastatic breast cancer. And sometimes you lose these people. Sometimes they die. How do you handle that? About a year and a half ago, I was part of a documentary film trailer that featured four local women who all have uh, metastatic breast cancer. 
And last November, one woman started experiencing seizures and had symptoms, and they found out that she had lesions to her brain, went through whole brain radiation, and then made a personal decision not to continue with treatment, and lived well for almost a year, and then passed away in September, soon after the fashion show. So that was really hard. The three other women, myself included, also had progression to the brain. That was very difficult because you want to be supportive, but... You also worry about yourself, like when these three women were diagnosed with progression to the brain and I was still healthy, I started feeling, okay, how can how can I support them? How can I help them? But I was also worried for myself. Yeah. And then sure enough, a few months later, I found myself on the same path that they were on. But I looked to them also as one friend um, from Wellesley who went through brain radiation over the summer. I saw how she went through the ups and downs of the treatment and now she's doing very well and very optimistic and positive. And I said, I'm going to be her. I'm going to be that positive person. And I had to kind of focus on you know, I go through the treatment, you know, it was very difficult at first, but it's only two weeks. And then I have to focus on the positive and the, the outcomes that will come from that. And you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Exactly. That's the way to go. <laughs> you know, Carol, I believe that we all have stories to tell. And when we tell our stories, we pass along that wisdom to others. We give each other a roadmap, a new way to see things. And before you know it, we're able to say, if she can do it, I can do it. At this moment, at this time in your life, what does success mean to you? I think for me, being happy and being optimistic about my future is very important. And then being able to do things in the community and to stay active is, is really a good definition of success for me. You are such an inspiration, Carol. Thank you so much for being part of this series on the fight against breast cancer. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?